0: TED Audio Collective. Let's talk about scrambled eggs. Making the perfect batch of happy scrambled eggs can be a deceptively tricky task. It requires careful whisking to achieve full cohesion between the white and the yolk without overmixing. Then you'll need to cook them. The key is gently agitating the eggs with a spatula making sure they cook evenly and completely, but still leaving them soft and a little wet. I learned how to cook the perfect batch of scrambled eggs from TikTok from a creator known as The Kitchenista. And I'm not the only one. 40,000 people have become followers of this Home Chef's feed full of recipes and cooking tutorials. And when it comes to TikTok, that's just the tip of the iceberg. In addition to teaching people like me the art of the scramble, this treasure trove of short videos has given rise to viral dance trends, created superstar influencers, and even disrupted the entire music industry. With over 830 million users, the Chinese-founded social media app has seen outstanding success around the world. And lately, it's also seen some controversy right here in the United States. I'm Sherelle Dorsey, and this is TED Tech. In 2020, President Trump moved to ban TikTok from the U.S., citing concerns around national security and data privacy. Just this year, Congress interrogated the app's CEO, Sho Chu, about these issues. And now, the future of TikTok in the U.S. seems uncertain. So today, let's hear directly from Chu himself. At this year's TED conference, Chu spoke with head of TED, Chris Anderson, about building his wildly successful social media app and how one single platform can connect the world to discover new thoughts, ideas, and perspectives. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash Support for TED Tech comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need.
1: Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination.
2: Obviously, I can't tell you too much about
3: what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play.
1: I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them
3: and the people trying to stop them.
1: We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it.
3: Click Here, stories about the people making
1: and breaking our digital world. AI machines,
2: satellite, engine ignition, click here, and
1: lift up. click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's very nice to have you here. Um, Let's see, Uh, first of all, you know, congratulations, you really pulled off something remarkable on on, on that grilling. You achieved something that very few people do, which was you pulled off a kind of a bipartisan consensus in US politics. It was great. (laughs) You know... (laughs) The bad news was that that consensus largely seemed to be, we must ban t- TikTok. So we're going to come to that in a bit. And I, I'm curious about, but before we, before we go there, we need to know about you. Um, you. You seem to me like a remarkable person. I want to know a bit of your story and how you came to TikTok in the, in the first place. OK, thank you, Chris. It's yeah, basically, you. if you're alive, you have had some kind of contact with, with TikTok at this point. So you, tell Chris. us about you. So my name is Sho, and uh, I'm from
1: Singapore. Roughly 10 years ago, two engineers were building a product. And the idea behind this was to build a product that recommended content to people not based on who they knew, which was, uh, if you think about it, 10 years ago, um, it was all, the social graph was all in the rage. And the idea was, you know, your content and the feed that you saw should be based on people that you knew. Mm. But 10 years ago, these two engineers thought about something different, which is instead of Showing you what you, what, you know. Instead of showing you people you knew, why don't we show you content that you liked? And that's sort of the genesis and the birth of um, you know the early iterations of TikTok. And about five years ago, with the advent of um, you know 4G, short video, mobile phone penetration, um, TikTok was born. And a couple of years ago, you know I had the opportunity to run
2: this company, and it still excites me every single day. So I want to dig in a little more into this about what was it that made this takeoff so explosive? Because the the, the language I hear from people who, you know, spent time on it, it's sort of like, I mean, it, it, it is a different level of addiction to other uh, media out there. And I, I don't necessarily mean this in a, in a good way. We'll be coming on to it. There's good and bad things about this type of addiction. But it's the feeling that within a couple of days of, of uh, experience of TikTok, it knows you and it, and it surprises you with things that you didn't know you were going to be interested in, but you are. How? Is it really just, not, instead of the social graph, what are these algorithms doing? The, I, I think to
1: describe this, uh, to begin to answer your question we have to talk about the mission of the company. Now, the mission is to inspire creativity and to bring joy. And I think you know, missions for companies like ours is really important because you have product managers working on the product every single day, and they need to have a North Star, you know, something to sort of work towards together. Now, based on this mission, our vision is to provide three things to our users. We want to provide a window to discover, and I'll talk about discovery. You talked about this in a second. We want to give them a canvas to create, which is going to be really exciting with new technologies in AI that's going to help people, you know, help people create new things. And the final thing is bridges for people to connect. So that's sort of the vision of what we're trying to build. Now, what really makes TikTok very unique and very different is the whole discovery engine behind this. So there are earlier apps that I have a lot of respect for, but they were built for a different purpose. You know, for example, in the era of search, you know, there was an app that was built for people who wanted to search things that was e- so that it's more easily this, uh, found. And then in the era of social graphs, it was about connecting people and their followers. Now, what we have done is that we are, based on our machine learning algorithms, we're showing people what they liked. And what this means is that we have given the everyday person a platform to be discovered. If you have talent, it is very, very easy to get discovered on TikTok. And I'll just give you one one example of this. The biggest creator on TikTok is a guy called Kabi. Kabi was from Senegal. He lives in Italy. He was a factory worker. Um, He, you know, for the longest time, didn't even speak in any of his videos. But what he did was, you know, he had talent. He was funny. He had a good expression. He had creativity. So he kept posting. And today he has 160 million followers on our platform. So every single day, we hear stories like that. You know, businesses, people with talent. And I think it's very, it's very freeing to have a platform where as long as you have talent, you're going to be heard and you have the chance to succeed. And that's what we're providing
2: to our users. So this is, this is the amazing thing to me. Like, we've, most of us have grown, grown up with, say, network television, for, where for decades, you've had thousands of brilliant, creative people toiling in the trenches, trying to imagine stuff that will be amazing for an audience. And none of them ever remotely came up with anything that looked like many of your creators. So, so the, the, these algorithms, by, just by observing people's behavior and what they look like, have discovered things that... Thousands of brilliant humans never discovered. Tell me some of the things that it is looking at. So obvious things like if someone presses like or stays on a video for a long time, that gives you a clue more like that. But is it subject matter? What, 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 are, the, what, are, the, what are the array of things that you have noticed that you can actually track that, that provide useful clues? The, I'm
1: going to simplify this a lot, but the machine learning, the recommendation algorithm is really just math. So for example, if you, if you like videos one, two, three, and four, and I like videos one, two, three, and five, maybe he liked videos one, two, three, and six. Now, what's going to happen is, because we like one, two, three at the same time, he's going to be shown four, five, six, and so are we. And you can think about this repeated at scale in real time across more than a billion people. That's basically what it is, it's math. And of course, you know, AI and machine learning has allowed this to be done at a very, very big scale. And what we have seen, the result of this, is that it learns um, the interest signals that people exhibit very quickly and shows you content that's really relevant for you uh, in, a very, in, in a very quick way.
2: Now, so so it's, for, it's a form of collaborative filtering from what you're saying. That, yes. that the theory behind it is that these humans are weird people. We don't really know what they're interested in. But if, if we see that one human is interested with an overlap of someone else, chances are you, know, you, can, you can make use of the other pieces that are in that overlapped human's Repertoire it's, it's, to, 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 feed, to feed them, and they'll be surprised. But the reason they like it is because their pal also liked it. It's, it's patent
1: recognition based on your interest signals. And I think the other thing here is that we don't actually ask you 20 questions on whether you like a piece of content, you know, what are your interests. We don't do that. We build that experience organically into the app experience. So you are voting with your thumbs, you know, by watching a video, you know, by swiping it, by liking it, by sharing it you are basically exhibiting interest signals. And what it does mathematically is to take those signals, put it in a formula, and then matches it through pattern recognition. That's basically the idea behind it. I mean, lots of
2: startups have tried to use these, these types of techniques. I'm wondering what else played a role early on. I mean, how, how big a deal was it that from the get-go, you were optimizing for s- smartphones so that videos were shot in portrait format and, and, they, and they were short, was that, was that an early distinguishing thing that mattered? I think we were the first to really try this at scale.
1: Um, you know, the recommendation algorithm is a very important reason as to why the, the platform is so popular among so many people. But beyond that, you know, you mentioned um, the format itself. So we talked about the vision of the company, which is to have a window to discover. And if you sort of just open it up for the first time, you'll see that it takes up your whole screen. So that's the window that we want You can imagine a lot of people using that window to discover new things in their lives. Hmm. Then, you know, through this um, recommendation algorithm, we have found that it connects people together. People find communities. And I've heard so many stories of people who have found their communities because of the content that they're posting. Hmm. And again and again, I hear these stories. You know, by connecting people together, by giving people the window to discover, we have given many small businesses and many people, your common person, a voice that they will never otherwise have. And I think that's the power of the platform.
2: So you definitely have identified early just how you know, we're social creatures, we need affirmation. Um, I've heard a story, and you can tell me w- whether true or not, that one of the keys to your early liftoff was that you wanted to persuade creators who were trying out TikTok that this was a platform where you know, they would get response early on when you're trying to grow something, <clears throat> the numbers aren't there for response. So you had the brilliant idea of goosing those numbers a bit, basically finding ways to give people you know, a bigger sense of like more likes, more engagement than was actually the case by using AI agents somehow in the, in the process. Is, is that a brilliant idea or is that, or is that just a myth?
1: I, I, would, uh, I, would, I would describe it in a different way. So there are other platforms that exist you know, before TikTok, and if you think about those platforms, you sort of have to be famous already in order to get followers, yes. because the way it's built is that people come and follow people. And if you, don't, if you aren't already famous, the chances that you get discovered are very, very low. Now, what we have done, again, because of the difference in the way we're recommending content, is that we've given anyone, any single person with enough talent, a stage to be able to be discovered. And I think that actually is the single, probably the most important thing, contributing to the growth of the platform. And again and again, you will hear stories from people who use the platform, who post regularly on it, that if they have something they want to say, the platform gives them the chance and the stage to connect with their
2: audience in a way that I think no other product in the past has ever offered them. So I'm just trying to play back what you you said there. You said you were describing a different way what I I said. Is, Is it then the case that, like to give someone a decent chance, someone who's brilliant but doesn't come with any followers initially, that you, you have, you've got some technique to identify talent and that you will, you will almost encourage them, you will, you will give them some kind of, um, uh, you know, artificially increase the number of followers or likes or whatever that they have so that others are encouraged to go, wow, there's something there and so forth. Like it's this idea of critical mass that kind of every entrepreneur, every party planner kind of knows about. Of No, no, this is the hot place in town, everyone come, and that that is how you actually gain critical mass? We, we want to make sure that um, every person who posts a video is given
1: an, an equal chance to be able to have some audience to begin with. But this idea that you are uh, maybe alluding to, that we can get people to like something, it, it doesn't really work like that. You but know, if,
2: you get, could you get AI agents to like something? Could you seed the network with extra AI agents that could kind of you know, give, give someone early encouragement?
1: Ultimately what the uh, machine does is it recognizes people's interests. So if you post something that's not interesting to a lot of people, even if you gave it a lot of exposure, you're not going to get the virality that you want. Whereas so it's it's a lot of, you know, there's no uh, there's no push here. You know, it's right. not like you can go and push something because I like Chris, you know, I'm going to push your content and it doesn't work like that. You've got to have a message that resonates with people and if it does, then it will automatically just have the virality itself. That's the beauty of user-generated content. Hmm. It's, it's not um, something that can be engineered or overthought. You know, it really is something that has to resonate with the audience. And if it does, then it goes viral.
2: I, mean, I was speaking privately with an investor who knows your company quite, quite well, um, who, who said that actually the, 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 the level of sophistication of the algorithms you have going is, is just another order of magnitude to what competitors like you know, Facebook or YouTube have going. Um, is that, is that just hype, or, or do, you, do you really believe you... Like, how complex are these algorithms? Well, I think in terms of complexity, there are
3: many
1: companies with a lot of resources and a lot of talent. You know, they will figure out the, even the, complex, the most complex algorithms. I think what is very different is your mission of your company, how you started the company. Like I said, you know, we started with this idea that this was the main use case. The most important use case is you come and you get to see recommended content. Now for some other apps out there, they are very significant and have a lot of users, they're built for an, a different original purpose. And if you're built for something different, then your users are used to that because the community comes in and they expect that sort of experience. Mm. So I think the pivot away from that is not, it's not really just a matter of engineering and algorithms, it's a matter of what your company is built to begin with, right. which is why I started this by saying, you need to have a vision, you need to have a mission, and that's the north star to what you, you can't just shift it halfway.
2: Right. And is it fair to say that because your start point has been interest algorithms rather than social graph algorithms, you've been able to avoid some of the worst of the sort of the filter bubbles that have happened in other social media where you have tribes kind of declaring war on each other effectively, and, and so much of the noise and, and energy is, is around that? Do you, do you believe that you've largely avoided that on, on TikTok? The diversity of content that our users see is very key you know, to,
1: in order for the discovery, and it, the mission is to discover. So, the, Sorry, the vision is to discover. So in order to facilitate that, it is very important to us that what the users see is the diversity of content. Um, now, generally speaking, you know, there are certain issues that you mentioned that the industry faces. You know, there are some bad actors who come on the internet, they post bad content, Now, our approach is that we have very clear community guidelines. We're very transparent about what is allowed and what is not allowed on our platform. No executives make any ad hoc decisions. And based on that, we have built a team that is tens of thousands of people plus machines in order to identify content that is bad and actively and proactively remove it from the platform. Talk about what some of those key guidelines are. We have it published on our website. Um, We just... Uh, in March, we just um, iterated a new version to make it more readable. So there are many things like, for example, no pornography, uh, clearly no child sexual abuse material and, and other bad things, no violence, for example. We also make it clear that it's a differentiated experience if you're below 18 years old. So if you're below 18 years old, for example, your entire app experience is actually more restricted. We don't allow, as an example, users below 16 Um, by default, to go viral. We don't allow that. If you're below 16, we don't allow you to use the instant messaging feature in-app. If you're below 18, we don't allow you to use the live streaming features. And of course, we give parents a whole set of tools to control their teenager's experience as well.
2: But how do you you know the age of your users?
1: In our industry, we we rely mainly on something called age-gating, which is when you sign up for the app for the first time and we ask you for the age. Now, beyond that, we also, have, um, we also have built tools to go through your public profile, for example, when you post a video. We try and match what the age that you said with the video that you just posted. Now, there are questions of, can we do more? And that question is always, has, for every company, by the way, in our industry, mm. has to be balanced with privacy. Now, if, you know, for example, you know, we scan the faces of every single user, then we will significantly increase the ability to tell your age. But we will also significantly increase the amount of data that we collect on you. Now, we don't want to collect data. We don't want to scan data on your face to collect that. So that balance has to be maintained. And Mm. it's a challenge that we are working through together with industry, together with the regulators as well.
2: So look, one thing that is, is unquestionable is that you have created a platform for literally millions of people who never thought they were going to be a content creator You've given them an audience. I'd actually like to hear from you one other favorite example of someone who TikTok has given an audience to that never had that before. I think, um,
1: you know, so when, again, you know, when I meet with, when I travel around the world, I meet with a whole bunch of uh, creators on our platform. Uh, I was in South Korea just yesterday. And uh, before that, you know, I met with, um, yes, before that, I met with a bunch of people don't expect, for example, teachers. There is an um, English teacher from Arkansas. name is Claudine, and uh, I met her in person. She uses our platform to reach out to students. You know, there is uh, another teacher called Chemical Kim, and Chemical Kim um, teaches chemistry. What she does is she uses our platform to reach out to a a much broader student base than she has in her classroom, and they're both very, very popular. You know, in fact, uh, what we have realized is that STEM content um, has over 116 billion views on our platform globally. And it's so significant. In, in a year? Uh, what, cumulative. What,
2: what, cumulative, 160
1: it, billion. It's so significant that in the US, we have started testing, creating a feed just for STEM content, just for STEM content. I've been using it for a while, and uh, I learned something new. You, you want to know what it is? Apparently, if you flip an egg you know, on, on your tray, the egg will last longer. It's, it's science. There's a whole video on this. You know, I learned yeah. this on TikTok.
2: <laughs> you can search for this. You want to know something else about an egg? If you put it in just one hand and squeeze it as hard as you can, right. it will never break. Yes, I think I read about that too. It's not true. Somewhere. <laughs> it's,
1: I'm not sure. We can find it. We can search for it. For
2: yes, for But look, here's, here's the flip side to, to all this amazingness. And it's, it's really, it's, honestly, this is the key thing that I, I want to have a, an, an, a, an honest, heart-to-heart conversation with you because it's such an important issue. This question of human addiction. You know, we are animals with a prefrontal cortex. That's how I think of us. We have these addictive instincts that that go back millions of years. And and we often are in the mode of trying to modulate our own behavior. It turns out that the internet is incredibly good at activating our animal cells and getting them so damn excited. And and your company, the company you've built, is better at it than any other company on the planet, I think. So what are the risks of this? I mean, how, from, from a company point of view, for example, it's in your interest to have people on there as long as possible. So someone would say as a first pass, you want people to be addicted as long as possible. That's how advertising, money will flow, and so forth, and that's how your creators will be delighted. W- what is too much? I don't actually
1: agree with that. Uh, I, you know, as a company, our goal is not to optimize and maximize time spent. It is not. In fact, in order to address people spending too much time on our platform, we have done a number of things. I was just speaking with uh, some of your colleagues backstage. One of them told me you know, she has encountered this as well. If you spend too much time on our platform, we will proactively send you videos to tell you to get off the platform. We, also, we will, and depending on the time of the day, if it's late at night, it will come sooner. We have also built-in tools to limit, if you're below 18 years old, by default, we set a 60-minute default time limit. How many? 60 minutes. Six, six hours. And we've given parents tools, and yourself tools. If you go to settings, you can set your own time limit. We've given parents tools so that you can pair, if for the parents who don't know this, go to settings, family pairing, you can pair your phone with your teenager's phone and set the time limit. And we really encourage parents to have these conversations with their teenagers on what is the right amount of screen time. I think that's a healthy relationship that you should have with your screen. And as a business, you know, we believe that that balance needs to be met. So it's not true that we just want to maximize... Uh, Time yeah.
2: if, you, if you were advising parents here what time they should actually recommend to their teenagers, what, what do you think is, is the right setting?
1: Well, 60 minutes, uh, we did not come up with it ourselves. So I went to the digital wellness lab at the Boston Children's Hospital, and you know, we had this conversation with them. And 60 minutes was the recommendation that they gave to us, which is why we built this into the app. Now, so 60 minutes, take it for what it is. You know, is something that you know, we've had some discussions with experts. But I think for all parents here, it is very important to have these conversations with your teenage children and, you know, help them, help them develop a healthy relationship with screens. I think we live in an age where it's completely inevitable that we're going to interact with screens and, you know, digital content. But I, I think we should develop healthy habits early on in life. And that's something I would
2: encourage. Are you sure that... Like, it feels to me like this, this, is, a great, <laughs> this, this is a great thing to have. And, um, but are you... That isn't there always going to be a temptation in any given quarter or whatever to just push it a bit at the boundary and just dial back a bit on that so that you can hit revenue goals, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Is it, is it, it, are you saying that this is used scrupulously? I, I think, um, you
1: know, in terms, even if you think about it from a commercial point of view, it is always best when your customers have a very healthy relationship with your product. It's always best when it's healthy. So... If you think about very short-term retention, maybe, but I don't think that's not the way we think about it. If you think about it from a longer-term perspective, what you really want to have is a healthy relationship. You, know, you don't want people to be, you know, to develop very unhealthy habits, and then
2: at some point they're going to drop it. Right. You know, so I think everything in moderation. There's a there's a claim out there that um, in China there's a much more rigorous s- standards imposed on the amount of time that children, especially, can spend on the um you know, TikTok that, 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 that is, a, unfortunately, a, a, a very,
1: um, it's a misconception. So that experience that is being mentioned for Douyin, which is a different app, is for an under-14-year-old experience. Now, if you compare that in the United States, we have an under-13 experience in the US. It's only available in the US. It's not available here in Canada. In Canada, we just don't allow it. If you look at the under-13 experience in the US, it's much more restricted than the under-14 experience in China. Is so restrictive that every single piece of content is vetted by our third-party child um, safety expert, Um, and we don't allow any under 13s in the U.S. to publish. We don't allow them to post, and we don't allow them to use a lot of features. So I think that that report—I've seen that report too. It's not doing a fair comparison.
2: What do you make of this issue? You know, in a lot of your—you've got these millions of content creators, and all of them, in a sense, are in a race. For attention, and that race can pull them in certain directions. So, for example, um, teenage girls on TikTok. Sometimes people worry that that to win attention, they've discovered that by being more sexual, that they can gain extra viewers. Is this a concern? Is there anything you can do about this?
1: We address this in our community guidelines as well. Um, You know, if you look at sort of the sexualized uh, content on our guidelines, if you're below a certain age you know, for certain themes that are mature, we actually remove that from your experience. Again, I come back to this. You know, we want to have a safe platform. In fact, at my congressional hearing, I made four commitments to our users and to the politicians in the US. And one of the first one is that we take safety, especially for teenagers, extremely seriously. And we will continue to prioritize that. You know, I believe that we need to give our teenage users and our users in general a very safe experience, because if we don't do that, then we cannot fulfill, the mission is to inspire creativity and to bring joy. Right. If they don't feel safe, I cannot fulfill my mission. So it's all very organic to me as a business to make sure I do that.
2: But in the strange interacting world of human psychology and so forth, weird memes can take off. I mean, you had this outbreak a couple years back of these sort of devious licks where kids were competing with each other to do vandalism in schools and you know, get lots of followers from it. How, how, how on earth do you battle something like that? Um, so
1: dangerous challenges are not allowed on our platform. It's, uh, if you look at our guidelines, we, it's violative. We proactively invest resources to identify them and remove them from our platform. In fact, if you search for dangerous challenges on our platform today, we will redirect you to a safety resource page. And we actually worked with some creators as well to come up with campaigns. Uh, this is another campaign. It's the Stop, Think, Decide Before You Add campaign where we work with the creators to produce videos, to explain to people that some of the things are dangerous. Please don't do it. And we, we post those videos actively on our, on our platform as well.
2: That's, that's cool. And you've got, you've got lots of employees. I mean, how, how many employees do you have who are specifically looking at these content moderation things? Or is that the wrong question? Is it, are they mostly identified by AI initially, and then, and then you have a, a group who are overseeing and making the final decision?
1: Um, the group is based in Ireland. Um, and um, it's a lot of people. It's tens of thousands of people. Tens of Ten, thousands. Tens of thousands. It's a huge. It's one of the most important cost items on my PL, and I think it's completely worth it. Now, most of the moderation has to be done by machines. The machines are good. They're quite good, but they're not as good as you know. They're not perfect at this point. So you have to complement it with a lot of human beings today. And I think, by the way, a lot of the progress in AI in general is making that kind of content moderation capabilities a lot better. So mm. we're going to get more precise. You know, we're going to get more specific. And it's going you know, it's, it's to be able to handle larger scale. Mm. And that's something I think you know, that <clears throat> I'm personally looking forward to. What about
2: this perceived huge downside of use of certainly Instagram, I think TikTok as well, where people worry that you are amplifying insecurities, especially of of teenagers and perhaps especially of teenage girls, that you see, they see these amazing people on there doing amazing things. They feel inadequate. There's all these reported cases of of depression, insecurity, suicide, and so forth.
1: I I take this extremely seriously. Um, So again, in our guidelines for certain themes that we think are mature um, and not suitable for teenagers, we actually proactively remove it from their experience, um, at the same time, if you search certain terms, we will make sure that you get redirected to a resource safety page. Now, we are always working with experts to understand some of these new trends that could emerge and proactively try to manage and, try to manage them, if that makes sense. Now, this is a problem that predates us, that predates TikTok. It actually predates the internet. You know, it's, um, but it's our responsibility to make sure that we invest enough to understand and to address the concerns to keep their experience as safe as possible for as many people as possible.
2: Mm. Now, in Congress, the, the, the main concern seemed to be not so much what we've talked about, but um, um, data, the data of users, the fact that you're owned by ByteDance, Chinese company, and the concern that at any moment, um, Chinese government might require or ask for data. And in fact, there have been instances where I think you've, you've confirmed that that some data of Journalists on the platform was, was made available to ByteDance's engineers, and from there, who, who, who knows what. Now, your, your response to this was to have this you know, Project Texas where you're moving data to be controlled by Oracle here in the US. Can you, can you, can you talk about that project and, and why, if you believe it so, why we should not worry so much about this issue?
1: I, I will say a couple of things about this, if you don't mind. The first thing I would say is that the internet is built on global interoperability. And we are not the only company that relies on a global talent pool to make our products as good as... Technology is a very collaborative effort. You know, I think many people here would say the same thing. Um, So we are not the first company to have engineers in all countries, including in China. We're not the first one. Now, I understand some of these concerns. So, you know, the data access by employees is not data access by government. This is very different. And there's a clear difference in this. But... We hear the concerns that are raised in the United States. We did not try to avoid, you know, discussing, or we did not try to argue our way out of it. What we did was we built an unprecedented project where we localized American data to be stored on American soil by an American company, overseen by American personnel. So this this kind of protection for for American data is beyond what any other company in our industry has ever done. It's, well money is not the only issue here, but it's very expensive to build something like that. And more importantly, you know, we are basically localizing data in a way that no other company has done. So we need to be very careful that whilst we are pursuing data, what we call digital sovereignty in the US, and we're also doing a version of this in Europe, that we don't balkanize the internet. Now, we are the first to do it, and I expect that you know, other companies are probably looking at this and trying to figure out how you balance between protecting protected data, you know, to to make sure that everybody feels secure about it, while at the same time allowing for interoperability to continue to happen. Because that's what makes technology and the internet so great. How so that's, that's something that we are.
2: How doing. far are you along that journey with Project Texas? We so are
1: very, very far along today.
2: When 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 will there be a clear, you know, here it is, it's done, it's firewall, this data is protected. Today, by
1: default. All new US data is already stored in the Oracle Cloud infrastructure. So it's in this protected US environment that we talked about in the United States. We still have some legacy data to delete in our own servers in Virginia and in Singapore. Our data has never been stored in China, by the way. Um, and that deletion is a very big engineering effort. So, as we said, as I said at the hearing, it's going to take, take us a while to delete them, but I expect it to be done this year. How much?
2: Power Do you have over-your-own ability to control certain things? So, for, for example, suppose that for whatever reason the Chinese government was to look at an upcoming U.S. election and say, you know what? We would like this party to win, let's say, or we would like civil war to break out or whatever. How... And, and we could do this by amplifying the content of certain troublemaking, disturbing people, causing uncertainty, spreading misinformation, etc. How... If you were required via ByteDance to do this, like, first of all, is there, is there a pathway where theoretically that's possible? Um, what, what do you, what's your personal line in the sand on, on this? So the, during the congressional hearing, I made four commitments.
1: Uh, we talked about the first one, which is safety. The third one is to keep TikTok a place of freedom of expression. By the way, if you go on TikTok today, you can search for anything you want, as long as it doesn't violate our community guidelines and to keep it free from any government manipulation. And the fourth one is transparency and third-party monitoring. So the way we are trying to address this concern is an unprecedented amount of transparency. What do I mean by this? We're actually allowing third-party reviewers to come in and review our source code. I don't know any other company that does this, by the way. Um, just so, Because everything, as you know, is driven by code. So to allow someone else to review the source code is to give this... a significant amount of transparency to ensure that the scenarios that you described, that are highly hypothetical, cannot happen on our platform. Now, at the same time, we are releasing more research tools for researchers so that they can study the output. So, you know, the source code is the input. We are also allowing researchers to study the output, which is the content on our platform. I think the easiest way to sort of fend this off is, is transparency. You know, we give people access to to monitor us and we can just make it very, very transparent. And that's our approach to the problem.
2: So so you will say directly to this group that the scenario I talked about of of Chinese theoretical Chinese government interference in an American election, you can say that will not happen? I can say that we are building all the tools to to prevent any of these
1: uh, actions from happening. Um, And I'm very confident that with an unprecedented amount of transparency that we're giving on the platform, we can... Hi, we can reduce this risk to as low as zero as possible.
2: To as low as zero as possible.
1: To, to, as, uh, to as close to zero as possible. As close to, to as zero low. as
2: possible. That's fairly sh- reassuring. Fairly. <laughs> um, I mean, how would the world know? And what would, like, if you discovered this or you felt you had to do it, is this a... Is this, uh, a line in the sand for you. Like you would a you would not let the company that you know now and that you are running do this.
1: Absolutely. That's the reason why we're letting third parties monitor. This. Because if they find right. out, you know, yeah. they will disclose this. Right. We also have transparency reports, by the way, where we talked about talk about a whole bunch of things. The content that we remove, you know, uh, that violates our guidelines, government requests. You know, it's all published online. All well, you have yeah. to do is search for it.
2: So you're you're super. Compelling and likable as a CEO, I have to say. And I I would like to, as we wrap this up, I'd like to give you a chance just to paint. Like, what's the vision? What, as you look at what TikTok could be, let's let's move the clock out, say five five years from now. What, what, how should we think about your contribution to our collective future? I think it's still down to the vision that we have. So,
1: in terms of the window of discovery, I think there's a huge benefit to the world when people can discover new things. You know, people think that TikTok is all about dancing and singing, and there's nothing wrong with that, because it's super fun. Uh, there's still a lot of that, but we're seeing science content, STEM content. We're seeing, have you heard about BookTok? It's a, it's a viral trend that talks about books and encourages people to read. That BookTok has 120 billion views globally. 120 billion. Billion, with a B. We, people are learning how to cook. People are, learning, people are learning about science. People are learning how to golf. People are watching videos on golfing, I guess, uh, on TikTok. That's, I haven't gotten better by looking at the videos. I, I think there's a huge, huge opportunity here on discovery and giving the everyday person a voice. If you talk to our creators, you know, a lot of people will tell you this again and again, that before TikTok, they, they would never have been discovered. And we have given them the platform to do that, and it's important to maintain that. Then yeah. we talk about creation. You know, there's all this new technology coming in with, with AI generative content, that, allows, that will help people create even more creative content. I think there's going to be a collaboration between, and I think there's a speaker who's going to talk about this, between people and AI where they can unleash their creativity in a different way. You know, mm. Like for example, I'm terrible at drawing personally, but if, if, if I had some AI to help me, then maybe I can express myself even better. Mm. Then we talk about bridges to connect and connecting people and the communities together. This could be products, this could be commerce, Five million, small bis- five million businesses in the U.S. Um, benefit from TikTok today. I think we can get that number to a much higher number. And of course, if you look around the world, including in Canada, that number is going to be massive. So mm-hmm. I think these are the biggest opportunities that we have. And it's, it's really very exciting.
2: Xochu, you're, you're you're one of the most influential and powerful people in the world, whether you know it or not. And I really appreciate you coming and sharing your vision. I really, really hope the upside of what you're talking about Comes about. Thank you so much Thank for you, coming today. Thank, Thank, so Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's really interesting. It's really interesting.
3: This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, TED Tech listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox, exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers
0: TikTok is a fascinating space, one for learning and entertainment, for finding and supporting small businesses, and even increasingly for finding news and information. It's also pretty addictive. Candidly, I've been guilty of taking a quick peek to catch up on my favorite creators' videos, only to look up an hour later, not realizing how much time has passed. Beyond getting lost in the rabbit hole of content, the negative impacts of social media on our mental health and our social connections continues to spiral. While Chu outlined some of the features that TikTok has implemented to protect children, like preventing anyone under the age of 13 from going viral or disabling anyone under 18 from going live on the platform, The company still seems to be struggling to meet the challenges of privacy, bullying, and data collection. So look, it's complex. And I'm not going to pretend to tie it all up in a nice little bow. But I will say that social media is neither good nor bad. We have to accept that these platforms are cementing their permanence as the virtual third space across a global society. We're all going to be connected whether we like it or not, So it's on us to find ways to do so safely and harmoniously. TED Tech is part of the TED Audio Collective. This episode was produced by Isabel Carter, who also wrote it with me, Sherelle Dorsey. Our editor is Alejandra Salazar. And the show is fact-checked by Julia Dickerson. Special thanks to Farah DeGrange and Nina Lawrence for production support. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review so other people can find us too. I'm Sherelle Dorsey. Let's keep digging into the future. Join me next week for more.
3: You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down.
0: To learn more, visit odocom slash TED Tech. That's O-D-O-O dot slash TED Tech.